Hey, Velocity Church, it's good to be with you here online this morning. And if you're new and you're checking us out, we want to welcome you too. We want to encourage all of you to connect with us online. You can go to velocitychurch.info slash connect to do that. We'd love to be able to pray with you. Uh, let us know uh, what you've got going on if you need any help. And, and we'd love to connect with you there. As we lead into Easter, we're talking about what's most important to our faith. And I've got a couple things here to help me uh, kind of illustrate what has become really valuable for a few different reasons over the last few weeks. Exhibit A, you probably recognize this, this is toilet paper, and this simple yet seemingly precious commodity has been uh, out of stock quite a bit because we just can't get enough of it. And, and I just want to point this out that uh, we haven't always had this in human history. I'll, I'll let that sink in for, for a second there. But for some reason, we, we just think that this is an incredibly amazing, important thing uh, to have at home with us. And I know like part of the things that happen uh, when, when we're at home, when we're uh, socially distancing, but yet maybe we're isolated with our family, there are different things that can create tension for us. And even though this is really important, toilet paper can also create a lot of tension. And one of the problems is people don't always know how to properly place their toilet paper on a toilet paper dispenser. And so I want to show you this schematic of the original patent submitted for perforated toilet paper. And so you can see that up there and notice that the only proper way to put toilet paper on this roll is to do the over method. And this is how it's supposed to be done. That's the only right way to do that. Now, at Velocity, uh, we say that no perfect people are allowed, and so all you unders out there, we still, we still welcome you, and we love you as well, but definitely you're supposed to put your toilet paper over. But here's, here's the thing. In the grand scheme of things, is toilet paper really the most important thing? I guess it depends a lot on your perspective and what you're having to deal with, because here's Exhibit B. Exhibit B is this homemade face mask that was made by Donna and Alan from our church family. And they've been making these face masks for healthcare professionals and other people who have need of them uh, that are on the front lines of caring for other people. And they're seeking to help people with protective, uh, personal protective equipment. And so for people who are in those scenarios, uh, the, the question of what's more important, what's the most important is pretty clear. I think the answer uh, is, is pretty obvious for all of us of what we, what we would pick. There's a ripple effect that flows out from us based on what we value most in our lives. And as followers of Jesus, that ripple effect is anchored to our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this sermon series of first importance is all about that. And just to remind you, the passage of scripture that we're focusing in on is from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And when it comes to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the burial of Jesus sounds like a fairly inconsequential event. Like if you're going to compare all three, death, yes, important, resurrection, even more so, burial seems like maybe it's not quite as weighty of an event. But for anyone who has had to bury someone, you, you know that that's not the case. As someone who's lost close family members and also having had the unique opportunity uh, and responsibility to officiate at funerals, I've lost uh, people. I've done that for a member of my family personally. I've done that for people that I've known, and I've done that for people that I've never met. Uh, and there are very important realities that are dealt with. 
When someone is buried, there's a remembering of their life's impact, a making sense of their loss, and then uh, an attempt to heal to be able to carry on with others despite that loss. Those are three main categories, and their complexity is determined by what kind of life that person has lived. Uh, But ultimately, burial is a confrontation with reality. And the pain is palpable when the reality doesn't match up with what had been hoped for. I can tell you the best funerals are the ones in which you can celebrate and point to the joy and hope from a life that's been well-lived. And the worst uh, funeral to be a part of is when you're in a position of having to help a family deal with the unfulfilled hopes of a loved one who's been gone too quickly or uh, that has lived a life poorly. And this is true literally for funerals where we bury someone, and it's also true metaphorically. Whether you're putting to rest a loved one or a part of your life that's over, the way you process that confrontation with reality reaches much farther than just the present. For example, if you take the burial of Jesus into account, we know that it's not the end of the story and that next Sunday we'll be celebrating his resurrection. And believe me, I'm ready to skip to the good part. Just like I'm ready to skip to uh, sometime in June maybe or, (laughs) you know, where we're gathering together in person and worshiping. But but if we skip the burial, we miss the significance of what faith in God looks like in real life. And the palpable pain that Jesus' followers felt after his loss, even if that pain uh, for some were for the wrong reasons, is representative of the space in our lives in which the Holy Spirit works to both comfort and correct our view in light of what God has done and what he will do. If Jesus' death and resurrection are the before and after picture of our salvation, the stillness And the silence during the three days of his burial is the reminder of what he accomplished and how he intended to accomplish it. And while Jesus was physically dead, he he was actually dead, he died. And while he was physically buried, what's really being left in the tomb are all of the misconceptions about what Jesus really came to do and where resurrection was to be found. See, some believe that if they follow Jesus, they'd never be sick again. Some believe that if they follow Jesus, they'd never have psychological problems again. Some believe that they'd be blessed. Some believe that they would be wealthy. Uh, Some believe they'd have positions of power. And many believed that Jesus had come to establish a new earthly kingdom to right the wrongs that their people had faced. But Jesus hadn't come to resurrect any of that. And so his burial put to rest all the versions of Jesus remade in our own image and paved the way for the reality of Jesus' life and death to shine through his resurrection. The burial of Jesus reveals our need for Jesus. Not some other object or situation that will always fall short of fulfilling what's lacking in our hearts, but God's presence with us, making our inner spiritual reality new, so that it's not just a compartmentalized new area of our life, that's been renewed, but that the entirety of our existence is joined together with real living, with a life that's been made whole. Now, all four Gospels in the New Testament give details about the burial of Jesus, but we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 27, and this is what he shares with us. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. 
And if you can picture in your imagination the scene that, that Matthew paints for us, particularly in verse 61 with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting there opposite the tomb. Mary Magdalene had been healed by Jesus. Mary, the other Mary, she was the mother of one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his 12 followers. They had followed Jesus. They were disciples of his themselves. They had supported his ministry. They've stayed with him through the end, and they're sitting there opposite this tomb, watching as the stone is rolled into place and seemingly slams the door shut on their hope. Jesus is dead, and Jesus is buried. And they're sitting there looking at this tomb. And we can turn the page, and we can read that they come back Sunday morning, and, we get to, and they get to see the empty tomb first, but we also know the pain of the moment and of the wondering, how did it all end like this? This is not the way that they saw this going. All of Jesus' talk about the kingdom of God coming and, and being fulfilled, this doesn't just, it just doesn't seem to quite fit. And those are the moments when our faith feels less stable. When someone or something dies in our lives, our imperfect response is often to bury the wrong things. It's a learned behavior. Any child with a relatively healthy upbringing will respond to the world around them with wonder and friendship. But then as we get older, we're introduced to the broken world that we live in. Uh, things break down, become more difficult to hold on to. And this is how sin works. It ruins our experience of the fullness of God's goodness. Someone harms us, we bury our openness to love others a little bit more. Someone cheats us, we bury our willingness to help others just a little bit more. Someone takes and never gives, we bury our grace and our mercy a little bit more. But it doesn't have to be this way. Because while we might not know what the next chapter holds, God does. And we have the opportunity to turn the page to a life in which our faith is built on the living sacrifice of Jesus and not on our imperfect view of the moment. Think about what three days from now Mary and Mary would say to sitting across from the tomb, Mary and Mary. Uh, they might go up to themselves and say, you might find this hard to believe, but just when you thought nothing could get worse, it will become much better than you could ever possibly imagine. Maybe they tell themselves something like this, that God is faithful even when we feel buried. Look at God's promises, and you can be sure that he will continue to be faithful in the future as he has been in the past. And because of that, we never have to bury the faith and the hope and the love that Jesus makes possible. Like, for example, when we're, when we're worried, uh, the Bible promises us that we can cast all our anxiety on Jesus because he cares for us. When we're lonely, Jesus says, I will not leave you, I will come to you. When we're depressed, we're told that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. Maybe you're dissatisfied. God satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Maybe you're uncertain. We know that in all things, we can be more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Maybe we're guilty. God tells us that if we forgive, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us. Maybe we're tired. Jesus says to us, come to me all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Maybe we're tempted. God is faithful, and when we're tempted, he provides a way out from under it. Maybe you need wisdom. God promises if you lack it and you ask him, he will give generously to all. Maybe you're afraid, and yet God says he's our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Maybe you feel helpless, and yet Jesus says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, 
and maybe you're grieving, and yet Matthew 5, verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God is faithful. This past few weeks, as our kids have been at home, our family's been working on a project together, and that's been putting in a garden. So we've got about 25 by 30 feet worth of garden that we're, we have been working on. And I found a small tiller on sale, and so I said, hey, this will make things uh, pretty helpful, pretty, pretty easy, so we can till up the, the ground and get it ready for planting. So I bought it, started working with it on the ground, and realized pretty quickly it just wasn't quite going to work the way I had planned. And so instead of just using that small tiller to tilt the ground, we, over the course of a few days, and by we, I mean mainly uh, my amazing wife, Renee, uh, got shovels out and we hand-turned that earth. We got the whole family involved in that. We had a lot of fun with that. And so we've got things pretty well set to where we can use the tiller now and we can get that ground ready for planting. And we've all uh, been uh, enjoying that. And so we can't wait for when we finally put the seeds in and then wait because that's all we're going to do for quite a while. In fact, one of our kids' favorite things to do has been to look at the seed packets to see what will grow the fastest. And while I was writing this, I just called out to my son, Seth, and I said, hey, uh, so which, which plant should grow first? And he said, spinach, 45 days. So he's got that memorized. Like he knows when it's supposed to happen because of how excited we are for that first harvest, however, however it turns out. Uh, but in the meantime, while the seeds are buried in the ground, we're going to sit opposite the garden burial ground, and we're going to wait for them to show up. Not quite just wait, though. We're going to water. We're going to pull out weeds. We're going to assess how to keep out deer and birds and other critters from taking our plants that will bear food and fruit for us. That garden is going to have a before and after to it, but it's what happens in the in-between that produces the final result. See, burial is a time for growth, a time to move from what was to what will be. And when we trust God to direct that growth, it will lead us to a place of greater strength. See, the Marys didn't just remain seated on the opposite the tomb. They went home, they prepared perfumes and spices, and they planned their return to the tomb for that Sunday morning. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy disciple of Jesus, honored the body of Jesus by placing him in the tomb that he had prepared for himself. And even while they would have felt like everything was over, they still honored the life of Jesus in recognition of the goodness of God that they had experienced up until that point. And that's what put the Marys in a position to be the very first to see that God had been more than faithful when they walked up and saw an empty tomb. And the fulfillment of God's promise for the entire world began to dawn. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provides the hope of our salvation, but it also provides the picture for what our own faith journey looks like in response to saying yes to Jesus. When we believe Jesus is who he says he is, we're invited into a burial of our own. And so as Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome, he writes these words in Romans chapter 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And here's what that means for us. With Jesus, burial is not an end, it's a beginning. 
It's the beginning of a new life, ready to break free from the sin that's held us back from the love and the design of our Creator. In the book, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey writes this. He says, what the disciples experienced in a small scale, three days, in grief over one man who had died on a cross, we now live through on cosmic scale. Human history grinds on between the time of promise and fulfillment. That dark Golgothan Friday can only be called good because of what happened on Easter Sunday, a day which gives a tantalizing clue to the riddle of the universe. Easter opened up a crack in a universe winding down toward entropy and decay, sealing the promise that someday God will enlarge the miracle of Easter to cosmic scale. The burial of Jesus proved his death, and it reframed his followers' conception of what his life meant, of who he is, and it sets the context for how God fulfills his promises, that God is always at work and that God always shows up. When we live our lives within the expectation of the resurrection, our own burials will reflect a life of putting to rest the sin that holds us back from the love that God desires to share with us, a new life that's devoted to the kingdom of God life uh, from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and what it established. And maybe, uh, maybe that's something that you haven't experienced yet. Maybe you haven't spiritually been buried through baptism, and we want you to know that we're here and ready to help you take that next step. Maybe you need to talk to someone uh, about what your next face step needs to be, uh, and, and we would love to walk through that with you. And so please let us know how, how we can help out with that. Uh, what we bury bears fruit. And we know that God is what causes that to grow in our life. And we know that the promise that he fulfills for us is that he will always see us through. That's the hope that we have even during the burial period between Jesus' death and resurrection. And so every week, uh, just like we do uh, together at Velocity, we always share in a time of communion uh, with each other. I want to ask you to consider what needs to be buried in your life right now and what new life can come through what you put aside as we celebrate Jesus' living sacrifice through this time of remembering his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me pray for us. God, we, even in the, the moments of waiting and not knowing what's happening or what's about to happen, we thank you for giving us these examples of continually showing up and, and continually uh, following through on your promises to never leave us or forsake us. God, we thank you for... Um, the, the way that you give us strength to move through times of, uh, times of burial and, and maybe even not knowing exactly how you're causing us to grow, but then that when we look toward you and we follow through with what you've called us to do, that we get to come on the other side of that um, with a stronger faith as a result. God, we thank you for this. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.